Hello and welcome to today's weekly Investor Insights call. Uh, throughout this, all participants will be in listen-only mode, and at the end, uh, just to remind you, this is being recorded. So today, I'm pleased to pass you over to Charles Prudhoe and Asad Zangana. Please begin, Charles. Thank you very much, operator, and hello, everyone. Thanks very much for listening, and for those who are doing it via podcast. Again, we really appreciate that. Um, so, Azad, great to have you here. Uh, let me just um, open up by sort of framing a little bit. Since I spoke last week with Philippe, uh, there hasn't been an enormous amount of macro news. A couple of things to highlight. We obviously had the uh, fourth quarter U.S. Uh, GDP print, um, which was more or less in line with expectations, showed a slight slowdown, which, of course, markets were very preoccupied with at the time. But what interested me was that the CapEx number within that actually accelerated uh, relative to the print of the third quarter, which I think, therefore, hints at the sort of cycle elongation uh, that we've been talking about. Um, in the Eurozone, um, we had unemployment uh, at 7.8%. That was a January number. But um, for those you know, interested in the history of these things, the lowest since September 2008. Um, and again, uh, from the point of view of the European cycle, uh, we'll come back to that. An interesting uh, number in the context of maybe the durability of European consumption. Um, and then just within the UK specifically, um, and with you here, Azad, we are going to talk about Brexit a bit later, um, the UK continues to see some softish uh, numbers. Uh, the Lloyd's Business Barometer um, went from 19% to 4%, which was the lowest level since 2011, and that's the second lowest number uh, since the financial crisis. So um, we've got this sort of weird thing where tax receipts and therefore the chancellor's position seems to be pretty good, possibly because um, uh, the richer part of the world have um, been doing quite well. Um, but underneath this, there is uh, some very fragile uh, business sentiment, and we all know uh, the reason why. Um, just the last thing I want to do before we get into the debate is advertise some important thought leadership that's coming out this week. Um, uh, Craig's got a piece that he's been doing in conjunction with Christian Mee on developments in China's balance of payments, uh, the implications for the renminbi, the global economy, and financial markets. And given the focus we have on EM and China, uh, that's clearly very timely uh, and very relevant. And then also mindful of distribution focus this year, uh, Leslie Ann and her new role um, has been working very closely with uh, Jess uh, and team. Uh, and there's a paper coming out, I think, on Thursday, which please everyone can look out for, uh, managing sustainability from a total portfolio perspective, um, which is clearly relates to the, uh, the multi-asset approach as well as the sustainability theme uh, specifically. So I just wanted to draw your attention to those two things. Anyway, as that, um, here we are, um, markets uh, overnight at least, slightly pausing for breath, and that's continued to, to an extent in uh, European market hours this morning, I speak on Tuesday. Um, the sentiment this year has been massively influenced by two things. First of all, the pivot that came out of um, the U.S. in terms of um, uh, no longer uh, the same kind of uh, trajectory of interest rate rises. Uh, and then secondly, more optimism uh, about a rapprochement uh, in terms of China and U.S. trade uh, conversations, uh, which as I think stand the tariff uh, impositions are suspended or we're waiting with bated breath. Can you give us your latest sense of where uh, those conversations have got to? Well, starting with the trade uh, situation, it seems that we're quite close now to uh, a 
new trade deal between uh, the US and, and China. What we know at the moment is that the, um, the deadline uh, for the end of these talks has been extended. Um, Donald Trump has said that he expects to meet with uh, President Xi sometime in the next few weeks to uh, finalize uh, the agreement. And uh, in terms of the details of the agreement, we know that um, uh, China has agreed not to devalue its currency any further. So roughly seven renminbi to, to the dollar uh, is seen as a bit of a threshold now. So that's, that's quite important to note. Um, and also that uh, China will uh, purchase more goods from the U.S. where it can. Um, they're talking about an additional trillion dollars worth of goods uh, or so. Now, potentially that could be at the detriment to other exporters, of course, mm -hmm. uh, to the U.S., uh, sorry, to, to China, rather. Um, but you have to sort of step back and think, well, does the U.S. necessarily have the capacity to produce these goods, given that unemployment is very low right now, growth has, has been uh, uh, strong in recent years? Um, if it does, uh, then does it end up giving up production on other areas and therefore have to import from other parts of the world? Um, or do they just simply increase their prices so, so China ends up paying more for the existing goods that they're already exporting? It's, it's not as clear as saying um, they will buy a trillion more worth from the US and therefore uh, Europe, Japan, Asia will lose out as a result. You know, these are, there are complex supply chains behind that. And yet, and yet President Trump will still, in a sense, get the headline that he craves, and that's really his objective. Uh, of course, anything to reduce the trade deficit with China, I think he will see uh, as a victory. Um, anything that will lead to a reduction in the tariffs that China applies to U.S. goods also will be uh, very important. But, of course, uh, any agreement here doesn't resolve all of the problems that the U.S. sees with the China trade relationship. There are still big concerns around the treatment of intellectual property with regards to not only U.S. firms, but actually all firms, uh, across the world. So there's a sense that um, the trade war could eventually morph into a, just a tech war, whereby you still have uh, players from both sides fighting it out, but uh, not doing so at the, the higher level right. between presidents, but more so at a corporate level um, with, with, with the various legal teams. Right, and which some would say that's just sort of business as usual on a level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to, to. And then, and then, as that overnight, we've had um, staying with China. Um, the, it's obviously conference season there, and we've had um, the uh, guidance to expect between six and six and a half percent growth um, for this year. How does that um, tally with your expectations? And again, coming back to the sort of themes we've talked about in, in these calls in the past, um, China's role to act as a sort of, um, you know, uh, locomotive for the global economic picture? It, it really isn't a surprise for us. I mean, we um, have a forecast of 6.3% for this year, 6.1% for next year. Um, China has always been on a, on a gradual slowdown as uh, some of its structural headwinds start to uh, hit. As it, the economy matures, frankly. It, it, it can't it's inevitable, be, yeah. Exactly. It was absolutely uh, um, inevitable. And, and they're, they're trying to... Um, ensure that it's very much a soft landing, if you like, with, with that gradual um, slowdown. But I, I would, you know, highlight the work that Craig Bolton has done in the team recently. He created a activity indicator that tries to track underlying growth um, there. And it does suggest that actually growth has slowed much more than the headline numbers have suggested, um, which would be consistent with the very weak 
uh, export growth that we're seeing out of the US and Europe towards China. Well, and notably the, the, the exposure that the car sector in Germany has. Exactly. exactly. Okay, so, um, uh, and of course, you know, they have the ability to go on offering stimulus, um, if you like, monetary policy relief domestically uh, when when they need to, but it's, it's good to have that aspiration at least uh, made clear to the world. Uh, yes, I mean, I... I don't think anybody really expected it to be any higher or lower. Right. Um, there was there was a clear sort of path of defendants uh, happening um, there, and, and it's really for internal politics as far right. as we can see. Right. Well, let's switch to, um, to to Europe, the area that you cover in, in more detail, and maybe go into um, uh, Germany specifically, but mm. also more broadly. Um, I alluded to uh, European consumption. Um, I, I'm reading a lot of articles at the moment, which are frankly pretty rude about European growth and lack of reform and the ECB being between a rock and a hard place, wanting to tighten, but clearly not being able to. And so, therefore, um, Italy and other things continue to be uh, a cause of concern, even though uh, Greece has returned to the sort of issuance market recently. What's your, what's your take? The economy is still performing reasonably well, um, but... We are clearly off the very highs from 2017. I don't think that can really be repeated. That was a period where domestic demand was slowly coming back, but actually external demand was very strong. Well, that was sort of China, really. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then 2018, um, we saw the demand from China ease quite significantly as the, the trade war started escalating, but also demand out of the UK collapsed, and that's really Brexit-related. Uh, um the second half of last year, though, was, was really quite negative for, for Europe because we had a number of temporary factors that, that uh, suddenly halted production in a number of areas. Um, car production in particular. Um, now, the, headline, uh, the headlines from the car producers have been, oh, weak demand out of China. That, that's, you know, there seems to be an issue around the removal of tax breaks and tax incentives that, that were there. Um, and there, there are stories that uh, could, be, could get reinstated. Absolutely. And, and that, that's the problem is that uh, there's an expectation that they could be reinstated. And so um, households in China are holding oh, back right, right, right. just in case those tax cuts uh, or tax breaks um, come back. But separately, the introduction of the new uh, testing regime for car emissions following the VW scandal, of course, um, has caused a tremendous backlog in uh, cars being made available, new cars being made available. Um, to the market. So we have seen um, new car registration. So to be clear, that's the completion of a purchase of a new vehicle. Um, car registrations across Europe, cumulatively from uh, last August to January this year, compared to trend being down 60%. That's quite that's a dramatic a, fall. That's a big number. That is a big number. Now, we know that there is an issue with this backlog of the testing. The, the cars have to be tested using the new regime. It takes twice as long to test the cars. It's twice as expensive as well to do the testing there. Um, so we know that there's a supply problem. But there's also always a concern that it could be a demand issue as well. Mm. The good news is that when we look at the inflation data for new cars and used cars, that inflation data is starting to tick up. Suggesting that actually, yes, there is a supply issue. There, it is largely just a supply issue at this stage, and and that should recover by the second quarter or so. Right, and then from a consumption um, perspective, obviously it's give or take, in you know, two thirds of of of, um, of the economy in aggregate. 
where do you see real spending power at the moment? Because some of the wage data across the continent has been not too bad. It's been picking up. Uh, and in fact, um, we highlighted in, in the latest uh, economic strategy viewpoint this month that Eurozone aggregate uh, private sector wage growth is now above average uh, for the first time through this recovery process. So not only has employment been growing quite strongly for a while now, but wages are now accelerating quite nicely in nominal terms. In real terms, they're even stronger because inflation has been uh, coming down thanks to the oil price uh, situation. So, you know, as we go into uh, the rest of this year, we should actually see spending power for households improve even further. And I think that would be quite powerful in, in helping the economy rebound uh, second half of the year, once, of course, those cars become available again. <laughs> yes, and, and, and they'll be able to fill them up with slightly cheaper petrol, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, um, which will all help. So, kind of, in a nutshell, your, your headline in terms of um, uh, European growth, and I'm going to use a technical term now, is kind of bumbling along. Yeah, I mean, we, we've had a bit of a dip uh, from the second half of last year, and I think that will largely carry on into at least the first quarter of this year. Uh, but then we get a, a quite a good pickup uh, in uh, the middle to end of this year before it eventually starts to decelerate again back to trend. And I, I think a lot of people underestimate, you know, or rather have very high expectations from Europe. You know, European trend growth is about 1% per year. It can't grow much faster than that for, a, for such a long period. Um, but growth above 1% means that employment is still doing well, wages are doing well. And in theory, the ECB should be raising rates. But of course, it's struggling uh, to do that at uh, the minute, at least from a, you know, the optics are not helpful, should we say. But again, if I think about you know, China, whether it's this and what um, Keith's been saying historically about the US, it, it speaks again to this sort of drawn out cycle, um, not particularly spectacular growth. But again, I haven't heard you use the recession word. No, and that's because on our various indicators, uh, those risks have actually been started to come down uh, since uh, the back end of last year, when obviously markets have started to panic over uh, the risk of recession. Recession risk is still reasonably high, um, but um, the fundamentals still look pretty good. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, the investment numbers in the US came in a bit stronger than expected. If we focus in on the um, balance sheets of U.S. corporates, uh, you still see quite high profitability. You still see strong positive cash flow. You know, companies are not over-leveraged in aggregate. Right. Um, and that usually suggests that CapEx carries on for quite some time. Uh, in Europe, uh, it's a similar story. As I mentioned, the labor market and strong demand still there. Um, and obviously, interest rates still at record lows. So yeah. it's hard to see why uh, an economic cycle would suddenly turn in, in Europe with still some time to go. And so uh, maybe a good point just to advertise the revisions to your forecasts as a team that uh, I think you put out towards the back end of last week. That's right. So the new forecast is out with the uh, risk scenarios as well. If you're interested, uh, go and uh, check those out. Um, world growth was downgraded for this year, and I'm, I'm afraid that's going to be the news flow for a while now. I think a lot of uh, forecasters are catching up with a slightly weaker data than expected for Q4 and probably Q1 uh, coming in. But the good news is 2020 was revised up slightly, and that's thanks to the lower oil price uh, growth, uh, lower oil price numbers. And yeah, and the uh, slightly more dovish uh, Fed. Um, also, but of course, the lower trade tensions as well. I mean, that, that would be yeah, yeah. helpful in boosting um, confidence. So slightly better news for uh, 2020, but a bit of a downgrade for 2019. Um, and just to sort of call out 
uh, one of your new risk scenarios. I think if I'm, I seem to remember reading U.S. versus rest of the world and not just China. Yeah, I mean, there's always a risk that um, the, the talks with China fall apart at the last minute. Um, we've seen similar, oh well, slightly different talks uh, in uh, Vietnam recently fall apart uh, unexpectedly. Um, and it's worth uh, bearing in mind that the U.S. is currently investigating the notion that uh, imports of cars from the rest of the world are a threat to national security. That is code for let's put tariffs on car imports from the rest of the world. Yes. Now, if they did that, that would pretty much start a trade war with Europe and Japan very quickly. So we decided to put this scenario in to sort of explore this uh, a little bit more and to raise it as, as a you know, significant risk. Good. And um, in a way, I've done this deliberately as that. I'm going to give you about a minute to answer this question, which is Brexit, what happens next? Um, hard to say. It's very clear that political leaders are losing control over their own parties. Uh, you know, MPs are quitting, both from the Labour Party and the Conservatives. And it's interesting now that we have the Labour Party talking about a second referendum, which is something they've ruled out before, and the Conservatives talking about potentially a delay to the process if they can't get their vote through uh, next week. So next week, just for everybody listening, we're going to have another meaningful vote on whatever the deal is by that point in time. If that doesn't go through, they're going to offer to take no deal off the table. And if that... Where well, there is a consensus in part. Yes, for that. Uh, so that will probably happen. Yeah. If that is the case, then we'll have another vote to see whether we can delay. Uh, of course, delaying is more difficult than you might realise, but right. nevertheless, I think they're going to try to vote on these. And we could potentially have also a vote on a second referendum as well in the next week or so. But that's a, still a lower probability than those scenarios that you just described. Lower probability, and it would only be advisory. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, Azad, thank you very much indeed. Very clear, and you stuck to my minute. Um, we're running out of time, so let me just summarize the key takeaways um, from today's call. Um, first of all, in terms of the U.S.-China uh, trade talks, tension, in a sense, is easing. Things can always go wrong, but at the moment, the consensus is there's an agreement and a headline uh, will be achieved which will mean kind of um, tension uh, postponed, but beneath the surface, we should recognize that there will go ongoing um, uh, discussions at a business-to-business -business level involving lawyers and, and the like. So don't think the problem's gone away, um, but the kind of headline shock factor and risk of uh, excessive tariffs uh, does seem to have dissipated, and markets have largely factored that in. Secondly, as far as Europe is concerned, near-term news in terms of growth realized likely to be uh, soft, um, but at a core level, because of the underlying employment picture um, and increases in real disposable income, uh, we think that the European economy can continue to uh, track okay towards the back end of this year um, and next year retreat back towards trend. But again, no undue disruption and trend, uh, as far as the Eurozone concerned, is circa 1% uh, in terms of growth. Um, in terms of forecasts, uh, clearly that's one of them, um, but but also note that our U.S. forecast has increased slightly uh, for next year and therefore the global picture, all speaking to this idea of a cycle being extended um, and recession risk uh, being uh, reduced. And then lastly, uh, next week should see, uh, should see meaningful vote two um, and then the various scenarios are uh, votes. There are, if it doesn't, if it passes, it passes. Um, if it doesn't pass, um, then we have 
the, uh, the debate about whether or not there will be a uh, no deal or not, and that's unlikely uh, to pass, as in no deal will be ruled out. Uh, and then that would then tee up uh, Theresa May's plan, um, uh, a vote on whether or not there should be a delay. And in the background, outside chance of um, things shaking down so that a second referendum uh, gets tabled once more now that the Labour Party have come out more explicitly for it uh, if, in inverted commas, all else fails. So with that, that um, very clear as always, thank you very much indeed. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, and, operator, that concludes today's call. Thank you very much.